murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. Welcome back to True Law Stories, brought to you by Iron Garlic and brought to you by uh, VideoCaseStory.com. I'm here with my friend, colleague, client, Kyle Watkins, former prosecutor and now criminal defense attorney in Texas, in central Texas, coming from. And Kyle, are you in Bell County right now or yes. where are you? Bell County, Texas. Uh, Kyle, thank you for being on True Law Stories. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, Kyle and I are today, Kyle can tell a story about uh, a pretty scary story about uh, a woman, a scorned lover, and a pretty crazy prostitution story. Uh, we got some interesting ones, but we're going to start with a, an interesting murder story. Before we get into that, Kyle, tell us how you got to become a criminal defense attorney. So before this, um, I, I was a prosecutor down in Houston. And uh, so for those that are not familiar with criminal justice, prosecutors are putting them in jail and defense attorneys are trying to keep them out of jail. And so I was putting them in and uh, and did that for a good while. And then we had uh, a bunch of political turmoil there in Houston and um, a whole huge shift of personnel. It's a giant DA's office. Our Houston is in Harris County, which is the third largest county in the country. People don't think of Houston is that big, but there's New wow. York, Los Angeles and then Houston. And so um, the city itself is smaller than Chicago, number four city, but number three county. So it's a big place with a lot of prosecutors. Uh, and, and a lot of them got fired or quit with the politics. And so in, uh, in 2016, I left and, uh, and moved out here to a more rural area here in Bell County, which is about an hour north of Austin. And, uh, and that's, that's the story. And, you know, I was interested, um, why did you become a prosecutor in the first place? The, uh, uh, the short version is it, um, it, it, it was me being picked for a jury. I was just, I was working in oil and gas and I ended up uh, showing up for a jury duty and it was a murder trial and I got put on the jury. And I thought going into that, that I had the best job in the world, you know, selling oil field products in Houston during a boom, it, it, it probably is the best job. But then after that murder trial, I thought that that prosecutor had the best job in the world. And so I gave my boss notice and I applied to law school, got in, started interning at the DA's office and they hired me uh, when I graduated. And um, what was, what was your favorite part about being a prosecutor? So there are these guys that, that are bad, bad guys. There's a lot of people that are not bad. There's two kinds of people in the criminal world. There's those that we're mad at and those that we're afraid of. You know, a guy gets four or five DWIs. Look, Bob, we're mad at you. Stop driving drunk. We're mad. But then there are those guys that do really, really bad stuff, um, the guys, you know, that are doing horrible things that we probably don't even want to talk about here that involve children and just awful stuff. And, and there's something about those guys that do so much bad stuff that they, uh, when, when you get a little bit familiar with them, um, often they have kind of a smugness about them. Uh, I can do what I want. I'm smarter than everybody. And the best part of being a prosecutor is when you put on the case properly, 
And during the course of a few days, you see that jury go from impartial to disliking him, to disliking him, to di and then to where they, oh, they just want to jump over the rail and punch him in the face. And then those people get to go back and sentence him to 40, 50 years life in prison or whatever it's going to be for this horrible thing he did to his stepdaughter or another person or a family or whatever. And that was the best part of the job, I thought, was watching all that develop and taking these 12 people that a week ago had no idea who uh, Bob Smith was. And now they are, they are perfectly comfortable with, they are convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that Bob has to go. Uh, I used Bob twice, that's confusing. But this guy, this really bad guy, it's got to go. And then they, and then they do it. And, and you can see it on the bad guy's face when he realizes that, that he's probably not getting out of prison. That was the best part. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because I think most people probably think of the the people that are in the criminal justice system as that guy, don't they? And it's and most of them aren't that guy, are they? No, no, not even close to that guy. Most of them are are normal people that uh, are just occasionally or very rarely making a boneheaded decision. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and some of them aren't, they even make a bonehead decision, right? They just ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now that does happen. Yeah. That does absolutely happen. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, there's bad, bad decisions. And, and, and so along that lines, you know, we were going to talk about the murder story and like, and we all think of, you know, you're saying about before we got started that, you know, someone that is going to be convicted of murder, they should go to jail for life or at least 20, 30, 40 years, right? Um, you, you had a story where recently that didn't happen and you helped to defend those people. You know, but before we get into that, now being a defense attorney, you know, how was it to flip sides? And, you know, and how, what part is now your favorite of being a defense attorney? So the... Um... You know, the, we talk about the folks that make the bonehead decision, or maybe they don't, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's those that, um, that it's especially those, I think, that it's scarier when some, you know somebody's factually innocent, but it's more rewarding when you're, rep, when you're representing a factually innocent person, and then they are uh, either found by a jury to be innocent, or you're able to get all the charges dropped. Um, and so just a couple of weeks ago, we had a girl, uh, I had a girl that, there's a major highway that runs south out of Austin, down to the border and north through down all the way to Minnesota called I-35, runs right up the country. And she's on I-35 riding in her car with her kind of sleazy boyfriend. She's a UT Austin student, wants to be an artist. And she's kind of dating this boneheaded 25-year-old guy that thinks he, that she thinks he's cool and he thinks he's cool. And he's driving her car, he rear ends an 18-wheeler and then when the cops show, he blames her for driving and she's wasted. And he's got injuries consistent with being the driver, uh, but they essentially harass and harass and harass this little college student girl. Uh, the police harass her until she finally says, okay, fine, I was the driver. Now, boom, she's arrested and she's got all kinds of collateral consequences that are going with that. And then we have to effectively uh, prove that she's innocent. Uh, thankfully, he bled on the driver's side airbag. And so I myself went out to the tow lot uh, and took a DNA swab of the blood on the airbag uh, and, and was uh, doing what I could to extract some of his DNA, which is a whole other animal that 
compel yeah. a witness to give their DNA. But fortunately, uh, eventually through this process, the prosecutor came to realize how not, none of it fit together, and um, and they and they dismiss it, and she she got got completely exonerated. Um, and so that's I'd say the best part, you know, when when somebody's not done anything wrong. And of course, there's that from a low level misdemeanor DWI that is important to this young college student, all the way up through the serious cases where somebody could be, you know, get life in prison. Yeah. And so speaking of which, let's, let's uh, tell me a little about that murder case that you, they were so talking my about. guy uh, was accused of murder. He's a known gang member. He has an upside down cross tattooed on his forehead, which is, doesn't help. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean necessarily mean, I don't know, but what it means to some people, but it doesn't help. And so he, if you're going to pin a murder on somebody, he's a great guy to pin a murder on because he's not very bright. He's a small time criminal and he's part of a gang. He's a known gang member. He's got gang tats. And um, he goes to trial, not with me, with a different lawyer that results in a mistrial. Uh, and the previous offer, if you wanted to plead guilty, was they went finally down from 50 years to 40 years to 35 years and he wouldn't do it. Um, and, and so then we get geared up for, so I get on his case, we get up for, geared up for trial number two and, and dig and dig and dig and learn all we can learn about everything surrounding the case and eventually work out the case uh, for a deal of eight years. And at this point, he'd already been in jail uh, for five years. And in Texas, you serve half your time and you're eligible for parole. So it's essentially, if you'll just say you did the murder, we'll let you out of jail. That's, those are the, that's the deal. Uh, and, and you really can't walk away from them. I mean, you risk, you don't want to die in prison on principle. And so you plead to the murder on eight. But then, of course, there's some some public backlash and, and people wonder uh, why, how that could happen. If you did a murder, like you said, he ought to get 30, 40, 50 years or life in prison, uh, how you could work it out for eight. And it's not all that uncommon, uh, especially in larger cities, people get uh, get their cases worked out for numbers like that. But here in small town, Texas, it is a big deal. And there is a little bit of a fallout in the community. And people look at you a little funny when they think that uh, that you're putting murderers back on the street. Um, but um, that's that's essentially part of what happens. That is that is the result of what happens when everything uh, goes as well as it can in in our current criminal justice system. Yeah. And I mean, and, and part of it too is, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, there's so many times when there's so many variables that we don't know about and it's not black and white, is it? Right. That's exactly right. Um, and that's uh, interesting uh, to me always, because I think we all w- want it to be black and white and be like, boom, this is who did it. They're bad. They need to go to jail forever. Or, you know, and pretty much anyone that's accused is probably guilty and if, if you're getting them off, then you're a bad person, but there's, it's not like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, and how, you know, when you're going through that, you know, how are you making those decisions of what to do and how to do it? And if to even take that case on a personal level? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's some lawyers that say they won't handle a, like a child sex assault case. Um, but, um, I don't know. My feeling on that is there's probably no worse crime than sexual assault of a child. Um, however, 
there's no worse crime to be falsely accused of than sexual assault of a child because that accusation will generally ruin somebody's life. And, and there's a lot of accusations that, uh, that do fly around. Um, I'm representing a police officer right now that was accused by a lady, and I can't get too much into the facts other than what's publicly known, but essentially uh, she was saying that, uh, uh, that he sexually assaulted her, um, but um, they're, uh, they're charging him with harassment, with just essentially making unwanted advances, and she's accusing him of all this other stuff. And the reason they're doing that is there's all these problems with her uh, claim with her statement. Um, and there's all, all kinds of stuff that's collaterally going on with it. And, and, uh, you know, when you're looking at, so this is about a month, two months ago, you're looking at taking a case like that. And you know that people on all sides of our more rural community are going to be unhappy about this. Even the super pro law enforcement people, uh, kind of turn on a guy like that when he gets accused of something, uh, and that, uh, in that vein. And so, you know, there, there may be, a, a, to answer your question, an element of considering whether or not there's going to be a fallout to my particular practice. Um, I, I'd like to think that no lawyer factors that in. I'd like to think that I don't factor that in, but I'm sure to some degree it crosses my mind. But really, I, I'd say it's, it's more a function of here in this case, you know, talking to the guy and, you know, this, you have this officer that previously you were cross-examining and trying to show that he was wrong. Your client wasn't drunk or whatever. And now you're hearing him out and you realize that you believe what this person has to say and that you're convinced this person did not uh, sexually harass or assault anybody. Uh, and so then you start to pick up that, that torch a little bit. And the more you mull on it, the more it eats at you, the more you think, well, I don't know who's going to be upset or I'm going to have to hear it from the golf course or whatever. Uh, but, but we'll, we'll just, we're going to have to, I'm taking this case and I'm going to fight it to the death. And, and I don't know if that's, that's not a very clear analysis, but in that instance, that example, that's kind of how I decided that I was taking that case. And, and I suppose they're all like that. Once you start to decide what you think is true, then you have a real hard time walking away from it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, with what you do, it's, it's no cut and dry analysis for on a personal level. Is there, um, <laughs> except for, except for when it comes to fried chicken, but tell yes. me a little bit about the fried chicken. <laughs> no, 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 there's not much there. So yeah. Um, uh, that's a, that's a excellent, uh, uh, excellent way to jog my memory there. The thing with the fried chicken. So in Texas, the law, is, you know, other states, the law around prostitution is uh, it's the exchange of money for sex. Um, but in Texas, it's the exchange um, of uh, essentially uh, promises. And, and that's the crime. I mean, there's, there's no sex has to occur. No money has to change hands. It's the agreement. When you strike the deal, that's the crime of prostitution. And so the deal has to be for sex, but then it can be for anything else. And so the, uh, yeah, the, the, the end result there is that uh, there was this prostitution case in Houston back when I was a prosecutor where the deal was sex, but the prostitute wanted $5 and a, and a bucket of chicken. And so we had to present that to the jury that that's, that's legitimate. That's, that's the deal. The jury agreed. That's the deal. 
$5. There's no threshold of amount or quality of the exchange. That's right. That's right. It can be, can be, can be the high end chicken. It can be, you know, some dude crying in the back of his truck. Any chicken doesn't matter. No amount. Yeah. Any amount, a dollar, a thousand dollars. Yeah. I bet in Houston, you have some damn good fried chicken. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. We never got, nobody ever solved the, the mystery there. Where was this chicken coming from? <laughs> Uh, how, you know, when you got up in front of the jury and have to present that evidence, what was that like? That uh, yeah. I mean, that, you, <laughs> you try not to look embarrassed. You try to put on a serious face. This is a serious deal. folks. We're, we're very concerned here. Uh, but essentially what you're doing, it's the kind of same as when you're a prosecutor on DWI on it. People don't want to find guys guilty of DWI. And they're looking for a reason not to. As, as a defense lawyer, um, I had one recently. My client uh, was pretty, he'd been drinking quite a bit. And he was so anxious when he got pulled over that he ate his cigarette. So he's got ash and all this crap in his mouth. And uh, But the police officer was so mean. He was yelling at him and chewing him out. And the jury found my guy not guilty. And I think it's because they were so upset with this officer being mean. And, and so the prosecutor in that case really failed, I thought, to impart upon the jury the, the need to follow the law. No matter if you don't like this police officer, you don't like his attitude, that's not, we're not on trial this side if you like this officer. And so the fried chicken case is the same thing. Look, we can agree, it, you know, that we think straight sex should be worth more than $5 and some chicken. We can agree it should be worth less. We can whatever. The question is, was there a deal? Did they have a mutual meeting of the minds for a contract for sex? Yes. That's guilt. Oh, man. 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 Just brings in a question my whole college dating life. Uh, yeah. 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 That's a whole other analysis. That's a whole nother analysis too. <laughs> um, but you know, that, then people, you know, th there's always the cost of being married and then cheating on your wife. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it seems like fried chicken is cheap in comparison to this next story you have. So, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, and you put it just right when you said sworn lover. So she found out succinctly put, she found out her best friend uh, was and he was having an affair with a best friend. And so rather than confront him and, you know, tell him, well, you know, tell him all she wanted to tell him, she pretended like she didn't know uh, and told him that she wanted uh, to engage in some kind of unusual role play sex, or I don't know what she, she essentially told him, I want to tie you to the bed. And he was in agreement with that. And apparently she tied him up decently or very securely Um and what she did is she then got her, her curling iron that um, she plugged in, turned it on, heated it up, covered it with lube, and she then proceeded to uh, to 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 uh, put it in his rear end and leave. Oh my God! The worst part isn't that she just did it and then like yelled at him and then stopped. She put it in, told him what she knew about the affair, and then walked away. And he's still impaled, and so of course it's hot and it's oh. like, oh, but. After some time, and it's, it goes from it's it's really not, it's it's more more of a scary story, more of a horrible story, in that you know there's substantial damage that occurs, and, and, and yeah. the pain got so intense 
he was screaming so loudly that the neighbors threw from his house into their house heard the screaming, and that's when they came. And- oh my God! Oh, and yeah. And so, what? I mean, when you get charged with that, what do you get charged with? I mean, the woman. What did the woman get charged with? So, if uh, in Texas, if you use anything that if you come in an assault which is anytime you hurt a person cause pain, that's an assault, that's a misdemeanor. But if you use something that is capable of causing death or serious bodily injury, which is defined as uh, the loss or protracted loss of use of a permanent, of a uh, bodily organ or limb, then that's a, a felony offense. And so here she got charged with the felony offense of aggravated assault and, uh, and that's, that's a serious deal. Yeah. Oh, oh, poor guy. Well, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, it's, I mean. And, yeah, he did something wrong, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Vigilante justice, which. That's, yeah. Just don't, I, I, I don't know what to even say about that. Oh, Kyle. So bring it back to, so now you help people out who've been accused of crimes in Bell County, Texas. What types of crimes, what types of crime cases do you handle now? So a lot of, uh, it's all criminal law. All I do is criminal defense and um, it's um, about half and half misdemeanors and felonies. Um, and I, uh, I've got a, a couple of, capital murders um, that are just so um, serious. You know, they really, uh, it's, you know, a a misdemeanor case can be stressful. You know, clients got no criminal history. They're a doctor, lawyer, nurse, whatever. I mean, their whole future hangs in the balance. Uh, But there you're really fighting for their ability to continue their career, not have the label of a criminal. But of course, when we get up into the more serious cases, we're talking about our clients conceivably being in prison until they die. And so um, I do my best to try to minimize how many of those I load on myself. Um, Oof, that's Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. But, uh, you know, obviously Kyle's a great guy, qualified attorney uh, with some interesting stories. Uh, <laughs> but you don't have to have that interesting story to give Kyle a call. Uh, Kyle, you offer a free consultation too if someone happens to need your, your help too, correct? Correct, yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. So what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, the, uh, the website, send me a message or call me on the phone. Awesome. We'll put the links down below as well as Kyle's phone number. Hopefully no one ever needs him, but if you do, um, you know, if you're accused of taking fried chicken as payment for sex, uh, you've got an expert here. (laughs) Kyle, thank you so much for being on true law stories. This has been awesome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, make sure to check out Kyle's website. Uh, you know, give a message. If you found this entertaining, comment down below with any fun and entertaining comments. Or if you've been accused, definitely give him a call. But this has been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.